0: Welcome to Whole and Holy, the Bethel Seminary podcast. I'm Dr. Peter Vogt, I'm the Dean of Bethel Seminary and, and I'm the host of this podcast. And today my guest is Rachel Whiteman. Rachel is the Associate Director for Instruction and Outreach at Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota. She's been working recently on investigating and teaching on misinformation and how to address it. She attends Mill City Church in Minneapolis and she has taken her work and now teaches seminars on dealing with misinformation to churches around the country. She's married to Brian, who is also a librarian. I guess the associate director for instruction and outreach is a, a term for a, a librarian. Is that, uh, is that right, Rachel?
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm the associate director of the library at Concordia University.
0: Fantastic, well, welcome to Whole and Holy. Thank you so much for, for being here today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So I wanna start just by asking, how did you get into this, this work dealing with misinformation?
1: Yeah, so um, as a librarian, my work for the last 10 to 15 years has been primarily with college students, um, teaching inf- what we call information literacy. So teaching students how to find and evaluate information. Um, and so that's like my, my day job is, sure. is really doing that um, regularly. Um, And of course, part of teaching people to find information is helping them understand um, the information landscape and how, how online information works and, and things like that. And um, in the last couple of years, I had just started to see in my personal life, um, you know, this, this need for, for people to understand how information is structured, how it works, how they find it. Um, And so I, became interested in that. You know, I think a lot of people have this stereotype of librarians that we either read all day or just shush people. Um, (laughs) But to me, it's really a teaching profession. And um, in my, again, in my personal life, I was just seeing like so much division. Mm. And I started to really reflect on how the information we consume impacts how we see the world. Um, And so that was sort of what prompted this this other piece of what I've been doing with churches, which is talking about misinformation and the information landscape and how to be mindful in online spaces. It it really sort of became an extension of, of what I do, you know, at the university, which is is again primarily with college students but or or graduate students. Um, but that tends to be very focused on students research papers. Um, right. And I was really seeing a need for um, a more practical uh, or day-to-day sort of engagement with this type of, of teaching, you know, how, how do people who maybe didn't come to the internet, you know, until later and, and they were taught to do research, you know, long time ago before there were computers. And now how do we teach people to engage with information when it's all online? Um, so that, that was sort of what, it's, it's really become an extension, I think, of, of the work I was already doing, but in a, in a more practical, personal way. And then it really inviting people to reflect on um, their faith and, and, and how does that show up or, or not in, in their online spaces.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's start by making sure we're kind of all on the same page in terms of what we're talking about. What is misinformation and is it different from disinformation?
1: Yeah, so misinformation is generally the term people use to talk about um, information that's just just not correct, right? It's just incorrect, um, and disinformation is the term that is generally used to talk about information that's intentionally incorrect. Okay. So someone may engage, or post, or something like that, post misinformation, um, and you know, it may not be intentional. It may be all kinds of things fall under the umbrella of misinformation, but then disinformation is someone taking that mis the misinformation and intentionally spreading it or being intentionally wrong. And I think even within both of these terms, there's a lot of different examples from, you know, flat out deep fakes where people have like doctored a video to make it completely fake versus just like, oh, they made a mistake when they did the reporting and they issued a correction, right? So there's a huge range of what misinformation and disinformation includes. Um, And so, yeah, I think it's really important to define the terms. I think terms like misinformation and disinformation and fake news, they all get tossed around equally, but they don't actually all mean the same thing.
0: Sure. Yeah. And so how pervasive would you say misinformation is? I mean, obviously you saw enough of a problem that you wanted to start addressing it and and doing these kinds of seminars that sort of thing how how pervasive would you say that it is
1: you know that's a great question i think i don't know that i think misinformation is more or less pervasive necessarily what i actually see is the change in our information landscape so if you you know if you think about it, misinformation and difference in reporting in the news and things like that have been around a long time. It's not like sure, people have always told the truth about everything. <laughs> um, and so I think it's I think I do think it's very pervasive, but I actually see that as more of a symptom of how our information landscape has changed. So if you think about you know 150 years ago, people got their information from, a newspaper and books and writing letters and talking to each other, there weren't as many venues for that Mm -hmm. misinformation. And I think what we're really seeing from my perspective is in the last 25 years, you know, the internet has really (laughs) changed the way we communicate and, and how information is accessed and how it's, um, uh, viewed and, and how it's, 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 how we share things, right? We have social media and the way we get our news is different. And, and it's very easy for people to just put information in online spaces and it's not vetted. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, anybody can create a blog and it can get shared and go viral, right? Mm -hmm. That term going viral is a new term. (laughs) So I think, I think it's very pervasive and, and I don't, I don't know that I would necessarily say it's new, but I would say it's very pervasive. And I, i personally think that's just a huge symptom of kind of where we are in history and and how the the information landscape has has changed. I mean it's just so different than it was before the internet.
0: Yeah, it occurs to me as you're saying that, you know, I think about you mentioned 150 years ago but you know at one time newspapers were very partisan in some mm-hmm. respects and you knew that this paper was the the organ for this particular political party or this particular ideological view, and we we think we've moved away from that in some in some respects. But it seems like with the advent of the internet, uh, now you we're sort of back to that in a way. And as you said, anybody can can put a blog together and say whatever they say whatever they want. Uh, so it's the ability. It seems to me maybe uh, is to disseminate information or misinformation, uh, much more readily perhaps than, than before. Because even back 150 years ago, you need to have a, a printing press and mm-hmm. to, to print newspapers.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's always been a, a little bit of an issue of access. Um, but I think that now our access has just changed so much. And, and I think, I think that tools like Google and other search engines, you know, they, they, um, they're not necessarily designed to give us the best information (laughs) They're, you know, this, these are for-profit companies generally. And, and they are, you know, they have things like algorithms um, that determine what we see. And so I think that, you know, that it's harder to tell what's partisan because, there's just so much information out there. And I really see as a librarian, my role is is really shifting professionally from this idea of just like helping people find information to really, like, how do we evaluate this? How do we determine credibility? How do we determine truth? Uh, because it's just so overwhelming for people when they're, they're accessing so much.
0: Sure. So could you give uh, maybe a couple of examples of some you know some misinformation that that you have seen and uh, that makes its way into church life or uh, you know the the sort of popular culture in a way that uh, that just simply is an example of that kind of misinformation. And I know that it's it's on. Um, you know, we talked about partisanship and and you know we're in a hyper a hyper society, and this is a phenomenon in both the left and the right. It's not just a, a phenomenon on one side or, or another, uh, but do you have any examples that you could share with us of, of what, you know, the kind of thing we're talking about that, uh, that needs to be addressed?
1: yeah sure i I mean, I think you bring up a really good point that I think sometimes people use the term misinformation to point fingers at the political party they disagree with, mm-hmm. and I think that that is definitely not true and i to i I purposely seek out examples from sort of the the range of political ideologies um, because it is a problem and it is a, it is something that's happening you know across all kinds of um, political views. But one example that comes to mind that I, I often use in, in some of the classes that I've been working with churches on is uh, last summer, um, you know, after everything happened in Minneapolis with George Floyd when he was killed and there was all of this unrest and things were just very stressful. Um, a, a friend of mine posted a, a, a headline a, from a news, a seemingly news article and it, it was like saying that there had been, you know, complete, I forget exactly what the the headline said, but it was some very like extreme, um, you know, vandalism at Lincoln Memorial in DC or something. Mm-hmm. And um, she was like super upset about it and posting about how it was so terrible that there had been, you know, someone had vandalized this national monument. And I, I kind of looked at it and I thought, well, I, I'm not saying that that's right or wrong, but I hadn't heard anything else about it. And mm-hmm. so I thought, well, that's strange. I feel like if that had actually happened, I would have heard about it. So I, and it had this picture with the headline of this extreme graffiti, tons of um, expletives and and swear words. And I, I was just like, wow, this is just really extreme. And so I, I thought, well, I want to kind of look into this a little more. So I, I clicked on the news article and I looked at it and they were doing what we often see in the news is re-reporting. So it wasn't actually an original news story. It was linking to something at another news organization, maybe it was CNN, I don't know. So I like clicked backwards through several articles and eventually I found the original uh, tweet. It was a Twitter post Mm -hmm. um, of an image of some graffiti at Lincoln Memorial from the National Park Service. So I like literally went back to the original source and it w- there was graffiti there but it w- looked nothing like the photo that had been posted mm-hmm. um, it was not nearly as extreme as that headline made it sound and i'm not saying it's right or wrong to have graffiti at n- the lincoln memorial but but to me it was a good example of how you know this thing happened and then as it worked its way through multiple channels it became almost a game of telephone mm. and the the result was this very extreme I mean, it was playing on people's emotions to be quite honest. And, and I think that that's what we're seeing with misinformation and especially disinformation is this visceral emotional response. Um, and so to me, that's just like a really good example of how, um, things get posted and then they get go viral and it generally, it comes back to some sort of emotional response. Um, and so then once I found that original post, I could then evaluate, okay, how do I actually want to respond to this news? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that that's a really important piece is like when we see extreme things, instead of just responding out of our immediate emotion, like pausing and, and noticing that emotion and then deciding how we want to engage with that. Um, but that, that, so that's just one example of where, you know, this original event changed as it got re-reported several times and then became this very extreme um, coverage.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I'm curious to know when you, when you encounter something like that and you trace it back and, and find out what's actually there, how receptive in your in your experience and I don't know if you did this with the the person that posted this but how receptive are people to uh, being corrected when they are they, they come to believe something that they've been told some misinformation and and how how likely are they to to respond to somebody pointing out hey you know what this is actually isn't true or do they do they tend to cling to it uh, and regardless of what the other evidence might suggest?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, These seminars and workshops that I've been doing with churches have ended up in a lot of conversations around how do we respond? Mm -hmm. In that instance, I actually chose not to respond because it was someone that I, I, you know, as a friend, but we hadn't talked in a really long time. And I just Mm -hmm. felt like, what's my goal in in correcting this, right? And I think to me, what it keeps coming back to is, listening to the Holy spirit when it comes to engaging with people on these things. So, um, I also have family members that, you know, in my extended family where we may disagree on, on certain things. And, and I I do think it's partly a product of the information we consume. Mm -hmm. And so as I've been kind of working through this, these workshops, I keep coming back to this idea of like, First of all, we need to invite the Holy Spirit into our online interactions mm-hmm. and, and really seek out wisdom on when to engage and when to say now is not the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, because I really don't think us just going in and dropping facts on people and saying like, hey, you're wrong, is probably going to be counterproductive yeah. in terms of, of creating a good conversation and eliminating those divisions that we're seeing. Um, and so for me, it's really come down to inviting the Holy spirit into those conversations and, and really thinking ahead of time, like, what is my goal in this? And, and I, and, and how can I speak truth to this person kindly? Right. Mm. And how can I hold space for them as a human being? They're, they they're made in God's image. How do I hold space for them? This is still a human being god loves them mm-hmm. and yet i want to have a productive conversation and i think what happens is we see people just like well you're wrong you're wrong and it's very counterproductive so i think the holy inviting the holy spirit and then just being really intentional about like meaning in when it feels like time to lean in and knowing like maybe right now it's not a good time and mm-hmm. and can i figure out can i pay attention to the spirit to know when those right times are mm-hmm. um and then in in a kind way, right? Not just being like, you're wrong, but how can I engage kindly? And because and, I do think people are resistant to it. It's human nature. I don't think we like being told we're wrong. So okay. how do we do it in a way that's productive and shows that we care about the other person first right. and then we want to have the conversation?
0: Do you think that misinformation is a, a more acute problem in the church as opposed to uh, other other sectors or communities, or is it just a reflection of our our culture at this time? And so the church is affected by it the same as any other uh, groups or organizations.
1: You know, I go back and forth on that. I've I've thought about that one a lot. Sometimes I think, you know, what this is just a product of our culture, <laughs> and then there are other times that I sort of wonder if, as Christians, we you know we believe. that we have this truth, right? Of who Jesus is, we have this truth. And so sometimes does that make us, and this is a huge generalization, but does that sometimes make us be a little bit more black and white about things? Mm. And so then it's harder for us to then engage with, like, let's say perspectives that are different than our own. Mm. Um, That's a total guess. I I haven't obviously studied it, but I, I sometimes wonder if we you know, if we, because that's certainly the way I, I feel like I grew up was in this very like legalistic Christianity. Mm. And, I, and, and I sometimes wonder if that creates a space where it's really hard for us to then say, well, maybe I will engage with a new source that I don't normally engage with because I want to learn a different perspective. And of course, that's a huge generalization. And I know not all churches are like that. But I sometimes wonder if, you know, having this truth about who Jesus is, does that sometimes make us less likely to engage with other perspectives. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I I actually, I I don't know. And then there's other times where I think, no, no, this is just our culture and we're in it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sure. Many of our listeners are pastors and and church leaders, and they're, I'm imagining uh, listening eagerly for some recommendations on how they begin to address this issue of misinformation. Nobody, I don't think, or few people want to be a purveyor of misinformation or, or disinformation. So um, they, they certainly wanna avoid that, but but how would you recommend they begin to address this issue of misinformation and, and discerning the, the truth in the midst of uh, disinformation or misinformation, uh, the information landscape that you talked about? What, what kinds of things would you recommend they do or avoid doing?
1: I mean, I think part of it, Starts with just being willing to talk about it. Um, I think in the interest. So when when you were asking about like how do we respond, I think sometimes we can, at least I know for myself, fall into this trap of being like, well, I don't want to rock the boat too much, so mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not really going to say anything. And yet, I I think Satan must love misinformation. <laughs> sure. I don't think you know. I think he loves it. And so, how do we engage with that? I think. I honestly think part of it is just looking for opportunities to talk about it, um, giving people tools. Um, I mean, that's kind of where this started for me was realizing, like I'm part of a church that really values truth seeking. And I thought, well, we need to give people tools to seek out truth. Well, right. It's, it's not enough to say, look for different perspectives or, you know, make sure you're checking your inputs or, you know, make sure you're, you're looking for truth if we don't give people tools to do that well. And so I, I think churches that are looking for that I've been working with that are looking for those spaces is really encouraging because they're, they're willing to call it out. They're willing to say, Hey, we see this as an issue. Um, but if we don't talk about it, then I think that's another way Satan, you know, we, ha- it, it's like he loves to live in the shadows, I would think. So like, Ooh, if we hide this thing, then and we don't talk about it. Um, you know, that doesn't seem helpful. So I think churches that are willing to, to name it and start making room for conversation. And 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 this idea, the other thing is like, we want to love our neighbors, right? So how do you love your online neighbors? Are you talking about how to love your online neighbors or your neighbors in online spaces, right? Do we, do we see our online culture, which is a huge part of our lives? I mean, this past year, 2020, showed us how much time we spend online. Um, are we willing to say like, this is a part of our culture and we need to include that in what it means to love our neighbors well and be a peacemaker and all of the things that we want to do as the church. I think we can't ignore this huge part of our culture, which is online.
0: Well, that's really interesting. I, I think about how, when I'm on Facebook say, and I I actually don't spend much time on social media because it's become so uh, divisive and uh, I, I frankly don't like uh, seeing what I'm seeing, you know, people that I care about and respect. And all of a sudden they're, they're acting yep. in ways that they would never act in, in person towards yep. somebody else. Um, but it's just struck me uh, when I was on, on there, there's something and and I don't remember what the issue was, but it, you know, just the the level of attack and vitriol that, that people were leveling. These are Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a, it was a church issue or something like that. And, uh, and I'm, I'm thinking one person was calling another satanic and, mm. And I thought, you know, we're 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 called to love our enemies, to pray for our enemies, and how much more are we called to love our our fellow brothers and sisters? And yet, mm-hmm. in an online space, it does seem like that goes out the window, okay. uh, in, in many respects. Um, so, yeah, I think so. Bringing that into uh, awareness of people's of faith is a is a really important point. Mm-hmm. Are there some pitfalls that you would say that people uh, pastors should avoid when seeking to address this something you know uh, that that people do that is really not helpful in in addressing this.
1: You know what I, I I guess I'll answer this with a positive. I think what I'm seeing where it's most successful is where um, church leaders or people that want to engage in this work are keeping. As best they can, not approaching it from a partisan or political view. Mm-hmm. Um, so, not approaching it as like, well, I think X, Y, and Z politically. So, I want you to evaluate your sources so you think like me, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think what the that and that is a is sort of like our default in the United States. I think is to be like left and right politics. Sure. Um, and so, I think avoiding that kind of language and 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 talking about it from a a broader perspective of like we want to be truth tellers. We want to love our neighbors. We want to be peacemakers and keeping it th- at that level, as opposed to a, um, political one, mm-hmm. not that politics aren't important or that we shouldn't have, di- we can have differing views. I definitely am not advocating that, but like making sure we're being consistent, like, uh, how do I say this? Um, <laughs> making sure that we're, we're keeping the core piece, the core piece, right? Mm-hmm. We're not, coming at it from a political view to change someone's mind, but saying that this comes out of a place of love and wisdom from the Holy spirit, um, which feels a little bit more universal than politically, which side we're coming from. Yeah. Hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, no, that's,
0: that's great. What if it's a, what if it's a pastor or a church leader who's accepting misinformation uncritically or maybe unknowingly, do you have recommendations on how someone in the church might handle that when they're not in a place of, of authority to be able to address things or, you know, set up seminars or programs to, to do that? What, what recommendations might you have for how someone might handle that?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question um somebody reached out to me recently about this work and i had said you know if if you want me to work with your church i'm happy to talk to your church leadership and they responded, and we're like oh no i don't think they're ready for that Mm -hmm. and and so kind of speaking to what you're saying like i don't think those church leaders really wanted to hear this and i sus reading between the lines i suspect this might have been sort of the case um and and they we've had a little bit of an email exchange about it i I think it's really challenging, right? Anytime there's someone in leadership, how do we um, kind of lead, lead up? How do we <laughs> how do we do that? Um, and I don't know that I have any easy answers for quite a lot of this. Actually, it's 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 hard to give clear answers because it seems so situational. But I do think that there's space. Um, you know, it, we have a, as Christians, we have some things about how we approach conflict, right? And hopefully, we're doing it in a biblical way. Um, I think that like anyone that we interact with that believes misinformation or disagrees with us, just that that idea of just dropping facts on people isn't really going to work. And so finding ways to open that door kindly seems like the thing I just keep coming back to is how do we have kindness for other people? How do we see them as people first? Um, and then deciding Um, kind of how to respond and again inviting the Holy Spirit into when is the right time to approach this leader, when when is the right time to speak up, when is the right time to take a break from that church if it's that bad. You know, like I think there's just such a range, and how do we really listen to the Holy Spirit in terms of how to respond? Um, is the piece I keep coming back to, which is not easy, right? (laughs) So it's 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 not a a clear answer always, and how do we trust the Holy Spirit's leading in that?
0: Well, that's great. Well, we're nearing the end of our time. Are there any tools or resources that you would recommend to help our listeners be more effective in thinking about and navigating this uh, this issue?
1: Yeah, there's a couple things I would recommend. Um, I, I really think a lot of this starts with understanding the information landscape, which I talked about briefly. Um, I really think that it's hard for us to evaluate information if we don't really understand Um, sort of the big picture. So one thing that I I often show in my workshops is a TED talk by Eli Pariser called Beware Online Filter Bubbles. Um, It's actually about 10 years old, but it's a really good summary of why we all see what we see online. And so if you think about the division that we're seeing, you mentioned it on Facebook, um, I really think some of it comes down to the fact that we all have very personalized and tailored views when we look online. Mm. And I can't help but wonder how much that creates division. So that TED Talk to me is really foundational mm-hmm. um, for kind of taking that first step. And then the, um, maybe a couple other things. There's a website um, that I often recommend also called allsides.com, where they show headlines um, from different newspapers side by side. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a great way to see sort of how news coverage of current events is um, in multiple uh, news sources and you can kind of see different perspectives and that can be really helpful to just understand issues from a broader perspective than just the one you're used to reading. Um, So those are a couple like things I always share in my seminars and my workshops. Um, I also have a website and an Instagram where I am sharing some of this content that I'm reflecting on as well um, that people are welcome to take a look at.
0: Great. Well, we will link uh, those things in the show notes so that people can access that uh, fairly, fairly easily, including your, including your website. Um, Rachel, if uh, our listeners wanted to hold one of your seminars in their, in their church, how could they, Connect with you through your website, or is there a better way to connect with you? What's the best way?
1: Yeah, I would love to talk to anyone who's interested. I love teaching about this, I love talking about it. I've been doing it primarily on Zoom, so re- uh, geography is not an issue. My website is um, www.racheliwhiteman.com, and there's a contact form on there. Um, and so I'd be happy to chat further, and, and I really try to make these. Fit with what a church community needs as best I can. So, um, you know, understanding what are the needs, what's happening, how can this be a productive conversation for your church? Um, I would love to talk to people about that.
0: Great. Well, I hope folks will uh, listening will connect with you and take advantage of this. I could, I could go on for a long time in terms of this, this is fascinating, and I'd love to engage with you. But we're, we're basically out of time. But Rachel, thank you so much for being here today and for having this conversation and for the work that you're doing.
1: Thank you so much.
0: You've been listening to Whole and Holy, the Bethel Seminary podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you have suggestions for future episodes or feedback that you'd like to share with us about this episode or any others, feel free to email us at whole-and-holy at bethel.edu. Once again, that's whole-and-holy at Bethel.edu. Thanks for listening. God bless you.
1: Thank you for listening to Whole and Holy. This podcast is a production of Bethel Seminary in collaboration with Bethel University's Office of Church Relations. Please share your feedback with us, including ideas you'd like to see in future episodes by emailing us at at wholeandholeyatbethel.edu. Once again, that address is Bethel.edu. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.